Welcome to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast, presented by Team Snap and hosted by veteran soccer broadcaster Dean Linky. Uniting coaches at every level of the game around the love of the game. We are United Soccer Coaches. Now, here's our host, Dean Linky. Hello, everybody. I am Dean Linky. I hope each and every one of you had a great Thanksgiving. So much to be thankful for working in the sport that we love, soccer. Delighted to be with you for another edition of the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap. Another great show, as we promised, beginning this month, every week we'll have one or two featured clinicians, presenters, or speakers at the 2020 United Soccer Coaches Convention coming up in mid-January. We start that with Ralph Perez. He was the assistant coach for the 1990 U.S. World Cup team. He was also part of the coaching staff of that incredible 1989 U-20 World Cup team that made it to the semifinals, still the best ever finish for a U.S. men's under-20 squad. He would go on to be a great assistant coach for the LA Galaxy and also the Metro Stars. He has been at the University of Redlands out in California, a great D3 men's program for several years. He's still there. He's still a great ambassador for the sport, and he's still Ralph Perez, one of the all-time great people in soccer. He'll kick off the show. Then, perhaps the talk at the D1 level men or women as far as great stories it's washington state they're led by their fifth year man todd schulenberger that's right todd schulenberger he was coached by john kowalski who ironically after the 90 world cup during the transition before they hired bora Militinovich, it was john kowalski who was the u.s national team coach he coached todd at robert morris Todd would go on to do great things, including working with Tom Stone, the great coach at Texas Tech, who also coached at Atlanta Beat. And Todd Schulenberger, in five short years, has Washington State in the College Cup. They'll face North Carolina on Friday at 7 Eastern. He is up. And then we talked to two champions, the junior college champions are done we'll talk to the d1 champs from the men and women on the men's side from monroe college marcus de bernardo on the women's side from tyler junior college Corey rose that's our show and it starts with ralph perez after this message from our presenting sponsor team snap does managing your club or league feel like a second job if so you might need some help with team snap you can get it their customers save up to 15 hours each week on tasks such as communication, registration, scheduling, and more. Plus, everything you need is online, which means no more trips to the bank, no more lost checks, and no more colossal spreadsheets. Bring your club or league into the 21st century with TeamSnap. Go to TeamSnap.com slash NSCAA1. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. Great show. We're talking to the JUCO National Champions, the head coach of the Washington State women's soccer team has got his team in the final four. And we're kicking off, though, because beginning now and every week leading up to the convention, we'll have one or two presenters or featured speakers of the United Soccer Coaches Convention. So we're kicking off the show with a true friend of United Soccer Coaches, of NSCAA, as it was formerly named, of anybody that knows anything about soccer, Ralph Perez. He's one of those gentlemen, to know him is to love him. He always has a smile on his face. He's always got time for everybody. And he's well-known because he did great things. He was part of that coaching staff that allowed the USA to qualify for the World Cup for the first time in 40 years back in 1990. He was an assistant coach to Bob Gansler. He did great work that same year in 89 with the U-20 team. He coached in Major League Soccer. And as I said, always with a smile on his face. And for his accomplishments, It is worth pointing out that in 2012, Ralph was honored as the recipient of the Watt Chiswick Lifetime Achievement Award. This exceptional award is considered to be the pinnacle of coaching honors in the United States. And with the honor, he joined the company of folks like Bruce Arena, Ziggy Schmid, Bob Gansler, Anson Dorrance, among others. That should help really set the table. He has been, since 2006, the top man for the University of Redlands, the Bulldogs, where he's done an amazing job for that D3 team, taking them to great success over the years. And Ralph Perez kicks off our show today. Ralph, great to be reconnected with you. Always been a huge fan. Thanks for being on the show. And the key reason you're on the show as well, besides being so great, is you're going to have a Q&A on Friday at 1.30 at the United Soccer Coaches Convention in Baltimore. So we certainly look forward to that. 
I'm going to try to make it as well. So, Ralph, thanks for being with us. Well, thank you for the lovely introduction, and uh, it's always a pleasure to be on with this association, the United Soccer Coaches Association. Well, it's one of those two, Ralph, where over the years you've never said no to them. So even as you're rolling along here, enjoying your life in Redondo Beach and making that trek to Redlands, they call you, they want you to be involved, you always say yes, right? It's one of those things like Mooch always said yes, right? Bob Gansler always said yes. It's just something that uh, it's a true unifier, right? Well, no doubt. Uh, I think that, you know, what what the United Soccer Coaches uh, do as far as, you know, their convention is, is something special. It's always a great time to go back to no matter where it's being held, what city in the United States. They do a first-class job in, in the whole week uh, as far as, you know, just the coaching education side, the social side, uh, the honoring of the different awards that they uh, are giving out in the course of the week. So for me, it's kind of special, and uh, I always take it as an honor to be asked to, to do anything at the convention. Well, they hold you in high regard. That's why they wanted you to have your own session. I know you've moderated sessions with other folks as well. I know you've done some stuff on the field as well, but certainly being recognized in 2012 with that Walt Chiswick Lifetime Award, that's seven years ago now, Ralph, and they still can't take that away from you. What did that honor mean to you? Well, I think, first of all, it's just the, the gentleman's name that's attached to the award, Mr. Walt Chiswick, someone who did so much for soccer in America from a, a standpoint of our coaching schools and just the work that he did tirelessly uh, throughout the country was uh, really something special. It started way back in the 70s, and he worked right on through to his passing in the 90s. But, you know, it was a, an honor just because uh, of him, but also then all the people that had received that award were, were either mentors of mine, like uh, Lothar Asiander and Bob Gansler, uh, you know, and then just some of the other people, the great coaches like Jerry Yeagley and, and Bruce Arena and Ziggy Schmidt. Uh, so to be put in that group is kind of special. Uh, I surely didn't win the championships those gentlemen did, but uh, clearly uh, I take it as an honor and it's something that I, I treasure. Well, you were a part of key moments in history, and I don't know if they're going to have enough time, Ralph, because as you sit down, people are going to want to talk about a lot of things. They're going to talk about uh, reflection and thinking about back to 1990. They're going to want to talk about the start of Major League Soccer and where it is today and how you feel about it. They're going to talk about U.S. not getting to the World Cup the last time around. Will they get to it now? They're going to want to talk about the importance of D3 soccer. I mean, there's so many topics that they're going to want to hit on. So, Ralph, uh, let's hit on a couple, but let's start with where you grew up, where you started, and how you found this love of the game and how you found your time with U.S. soccer. Tell us the Ralph Perez elevator story on how you ended up, you know, where you were born and then ending up with that 1990 U.S. World Cup team. I was born in the Bronx in New York. Uh, both parents have, uh, were born and in, in, in raised in Spanish Harlem. Uh, we moved out to Long Island and I, I, I went to a school out there that just won the state championship in, in soccer in, in New York, uh, Brentwood High School. And, um, very proud to say that, uh, to Brentwood, Long Island. And, uh, then went up to college at Oneonta State, which at that time I was one of the few schools that gave me both a, a, a soccer basketball scholarship and, uh, I, I didn't know at that time that Oneonta was going to be such a hotbed for soccer with Hartwick there and Oneonta there. and uh, So it was really a special place. Uh, and uh, now looking back, I, I was lucky in, on that selection, that choice, because uh, I did have a lot of people there that are pretty prominent in soccer, you know, like uh, Al Miller and Timo Leokowski and, uh, from the Hartwick side and then, you know, my college roommate Farouk Qureshi and myself and, and then obviously I, later on, I didn't know until he came aboard, Don Garber went to Oneonta State. So small world, a lot of soccer personalities, uh, and uh, really a special place to play uh, soccer. So the love for the game really grew when I went to college and, and then really flourished from there. So how did U.S. soccer, who was the first person in U.S. soccer said, hey, this young man, Ralph Perez, is a guy that can lead young men? Well, I think the first guy that gave me a, a real opportunity, uh, I, I went through the coaching schools and, um, 
you know, and and when I obtained my uh, my A license in 1977, uh, Walt Chiswick and, and Nick Slatar and Lothar Asiander, I think recognized you know my my coaching abilities, uh, and and gave me a chance to be the coach of the uh, state ODP team of uh, Cal South, and then from there. Uh, you know, uh, it was an opportunity Lothar gave me to become the regional ODP coach in the 80s. And then Bob Ganzo was the guy that pulled me aside in, in, in St. Louis Soccer Park when I had the West Regional team there. And it said, how would you like to be my assistant with the U-20s? And uh, I thought he was joking at first, but uh looked into his eyes and saw you serious. And that was a big honor, and that was a step stone to help out with the U-20 team that did remarkable things to this day, still the best finish in uh, U.S. soccer under-20 history, but got to the semifinals and lost in overtime to Nigeria. So I think, you know, that was my opportunity, and then Coach came back and shortly after that and asked me to be involved with the uh, qualifications for the, to the World Cup in, uh, in Italy in 1989, and... Uh, uh, we just actually, ironically, just cel- I called him the other day to celebrate 30 years that big day in Trinidad where we we won the game uh, to go on to Italy. So it's been already 30 years, and uh, this coming year be 30 years of the 1990 World Cup. Ralph Perez, good genes because he looks exactly the same as he did back then. I can tell you, folks, he's a good-looking man. And uh, another reason why everybody likes hanging out with him as well. What uh, when you think back to that 19. 19- 90 team obviously it was pretty much it felt like college kids right playing against italy and these superstar teams what's your biggest takeaway from your time in italy well i think the biggest thing was the the, the high lows uh the, the low of the first game against the czech republic where we got beat 5-1 uh we really got a, a a a fast lesson on the on the game internationally at that level uh the czech republic team was an outstanding team I think people don't realize how good they were so they played Italy as the host nation and then everybody started to see that they were a very good team but I think the biggest thing was that you know the, the second game where we played Italy in Rome at the Olympic Stadium in front of 80,000 and uh, that was something special that uh, the boys really stepped their game up um, played their best ever for us at that stage and at that moment, which is what you want, to play your best game at the biggest moment. Even though we lost 1-0, I think we earned some respect. I think we earned some some feelings around the world that, you know, maybe even though we were not in a World Cup in 40 years, uh, that the U.S. was something to be reckoned with in the future because uh, clearly that night the boys played well and uh, against a fantastic team that probably could have gone all the way to the final, but uh, ran up against a uh, penalty kick loss. But I think, you know, the biggest thing was, you know, the guys really made an account, account in that game of who they were and how much pride they had and uh, turned around a great performance that night. Yeah, I was with U.S. Soccer at the time, and really we were just the backside of Water Zenga on that Peter Burmese shot from shocking the world, right, and beating yeah. Italy. Zenga got lucky there, right? Yes, he did, uh, you know, but like they say, sometimes you need a little bit of luck. But, you know, to go back to that whole thing, you know, we, we, we did, when we started the whole process of qualification, you know, we just had a handful of guys that were trying to play abroad. Most of the guys were, you know, fresh out of college. I mean, when you look at the nucleus of that team, uh, if you look at the 88 Olympic team that played in, in Korea, um Realistically, that was a, the core of our team, and uh, you know, and it was, and we we thought at that stage, knowing that you know the World Cup after we qualified was going to be coming and was given to the United States, that we would want to pick a young team, so that four years down the road these guys would really be ready for the United States uh, hosting the World Cup and having a, a group of young men that would be in their prime and. Uh, so we went with a lot of young players, you know, that played in both World Cups, like a Tony Miola and Marcelo Balboa and John Harks and Tab Ramos. Uh, these guys appeared in both World Cups, and uh, and that that really helped uh, the the '94 team as well. That's so well said. Here with Ralph Perez, who will be 
doing a Q&A with Ralph Perez on the Friday of Convention Week, 1.30. You'll want to stop by and hear what Ralph has to say on all topics of you know, coaching. And, you know, Ralph, uh, knowing what you accomplished there and then knowing what you did with Major League Soccer with the L.A. Galaxy and then the Metro Stars from 96 to 2003, and you sit back now and take a look at it. You're right there in Redondo Beach, so you see LAFC pack the place. You see the Home Depot Center, now StubHub Center, rather, getting packed as well, LA Galaxy. You see what they're doing in Seattle and Portland and Atlanta. I mean, when you sit back and reflect on the growth of the game and where it is right now, particularly at the highest level for pro, how does it make you feel? Well, I, I'd say, you know, it, it's fantastic to see. Uh and it continues to uh, always say to myself, I never thought I would see this type of growth, this type of situation occurring in my lifetime because of things that I saw previously, you know, meaning the demise of the NASL at its heyday with the New York Cosmos, and then to see this go a full circle again and really, you know, uh, be as strong as it is, as committed as it is to the ownerships. And we can always, always give big thanks to Philip Anschutz, who was, and still the owner of the LA Galaxy who saved this league when it was looked like uh, there was going to be some dark days there and he owned up to it and then found some more owners and and then through the leadership of uh, Don Garber uh, I, I think the league has made a fantastic fantastic growth uh, more teams coming in I'm, uh, right now uh, down here in Florida where the next team is coming in uh, David Beckham's team, the Miami team. So, yes, uh, Atlanta is doing things that I, I never th- would have believed it would happen, you know, with the average attendance in their crowds and then obviously the final this year with Seattle and the big crowd there. I, I think it's great and I think it's exciting. And the markets there that you just mentioned, the Portlands, great places to for soccer fans and to go to a game at because it's uh, it's remarkable now. Uh, the atmosphere that exists in these given venues. Obviously, we figured out that uh, you and Bob Gansler and the gang and these youngsters, a lot of them gone on to great things as coaches and great things as, you know, key personalities and that type of stuff. But, of course, we all were still in shock that uh, after making all these runs in 90 and 94 and 98 and 02, and we're still a little bit in shock that we didn't make the last World Cup. As you reflect on that, what did it mean not to make the World Cup, and what does it mean going forward, Ralph? Well, uh, it's funny that you mentioned that at uh, Ray Reed's um, Soccer Champions Clinic last year. I I spoke on on the failure to uh, why we didn't make the World Cup, in my opinion. Um, and uh, it was an hour talk, so I'll give you the abbreviated version. Uh, you know, it's always a, a thing of reap what you sow. I was really... Dev- devastated on that loss to Trinidad, and it's ironic that it was Trinidad because it was Trinidad that you know we beat to get to the '90 World Cup, and then it was Trinidad who knocked us out to not be able to get to Russia. Uh, so that that was a big disappointment because uh, you know the United States uh, has had the experience, played the last place team in that day, and everyone anticipated that we were going to you know punch our, our ticket to the World Cup. But again, you know, our failure to to not qualify in the under 23, in, in a sense, the Olympic qualifiers over the last couple of Olympics, was uh, something that concerned me previously. And so I think that um, you know things started to develop where on the men's side, because surely we on the ladies' side we're, we're world champions back to back, which is fantastic job there by Jill Ellison company. But I think that you know. We, we've got work to do, and I've always said that that age bracket between 18 and 23 range is something that you've got to have a program and in, in set to continue to get growth and development for those particular players. Yes, we have them playing overseas, but you need to bring them together to play as a team. And uh, the rest of our region, CONCACAF, is getting stronger, so we have to make a greater commitment to developing those players because when you look at MLS rosters, which I do every time when there's a lineup that's given for the game, I'm looking to see which guys out there on the 11 on both sides are the American players, and this is important. So I think we have a lot of work to do, and I think we need a plan in place, and I think that's uh, falls upon U.S. soccer to work 
with the, uh, Major League Soccer and try to develop a plan that will get us stronger on the men's side uh, going forward because without a plan, uh, uh, we, we could be going through rough waters again. We're here with Ralph Perez, who since 2006 has been the head coach for the men's soccer team at the University of Redland Bulldogs. And I think there will be a lot of questions about Major League Soccer and even more questions about the one that you just answered. But I wouldn't be surprised, Ralph, if you did get some questions about the place of college soccer today in the United States, and including the role of D3. There will be a lot of discussion on D1 as there's people like Sasso Sarovsky pushing to go to a full academic year where they – play some games in the fall, some games in the spring. I don't think that's trickled down yet to D3. But as you sit right now, clearly college soccer has been something you've enjoyed or you wouldn't be doing it for as long as you've been doing it. Talk about uh, college soccer's place and then even, in your own case, D3's place. Well, I think overall, you know, I think the college game uh, has served soccer in our country tremendously well uh, from its days back in the 50s, 60s, which gave us some players and some people that went forth in, in the game, like a Jerry Yeagley, who was on the Westchester State Championship team, you know, to to people like that. And and the game itself, uh, you know, even like some of our guys, you know, uh, that have become big coaches, Bruce Arena or Lothar Asianda, uh Bob Ganza, all these guys went to college and played through the college system. College system has a lot to offer. It's organized. It's good competitive games. I know I've watched you uh, on the Big Ten Network uh, broadcast games. Uh, I think the game is 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 healthy. The kids that are playing uh, are are doing a great job. And and then you got to give credit to all the the college coaches that are out there, uh, whether young or old, that are doing a fantastic job in in developing players. And I, I, being a, a coach at all levels, be it professional or or um, college, I always feel that the game itself, even though it has some uh, things that kind of slow us down in the sense of our development because we can't play as many games and the length of the season is very compact, uh, I still think uh, what I see and what's happening, the game does produce good players. I mean, you know, you look at some of the kids like Jesse Zardes and you look at uh, Jordan Morris, I mean, you know, just proves that the college game still can develop good players, and I think we should never, ever think that that's a, a hindrance. Secondly, to go about, you know, the, the different divisions, one, two, three, and NAI, they provide opportunities for young people uh, to play, get an education, which is very important in our society and the American culture. Yes, we know that through the academy system that the, the, all the MLS teams and the 80 clubs that are, you know, throughout in the DA Development Academy League, we're making steps in the right direction. But again, it's like, like Walt Chisholm always said, you know, you just got to have patience to see how things develop, how they shake out, how you can improve it and, and uh, move it forward. And I know that, you know, Sasha has done a lot in the collegiate to, to, level to try to make people aware of the necessary changes that would be instrumental in growing the game and, and making it better. So Division wow. One obviously is our best league and our most attracted athletes play at that, but even in Division Three soccer, uh, which I've been a part of, some good players have come through there, some players, uh, a school like myself, University of Redlands, has put three players into the MLS and, and, uh, and it's done well, so it's there's players to be found at all levels. You just got to go out and find them. Ralph Perez, longtime staff coach for U.S. Soccer and also a longtime member with United Soccer Coaches, formerly NSCAA. He'll have a session Friday, 1.30, during the 2020 United Soccer Coaches Convention in Baltimore. And, Ralph, I guess the last question would be if you could sum up in, you know, a couple minutes that, best reason for people to come by and, and spend some time with you like what what's your main goal what do you want to try to accomplish during your hour or so as the, with the Q&A with Ralph Perez well I, I would just say that you know um, there's a lot of people that are very very good in this game of soccer and we've all been blessed and fortunate by the pathway that you you take in the journey of where you start and for sure 
my first convention, thanks to Al Miller and Timo Leokowski, uh taking me along to the first one in San Francisco back in the, in in seventy seven uh opened my eyes to to a lot of things and most importantly coaching education and being around that environment uh so i I always feel like you know on my talk what I would like to try to always say that you know there's always a time when you're sitting out there in the audience and then all of a sudden boom you're 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 the speaker and uh and i I reflect back on that as a young coach and to to where that took me and, and 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 it's an opportunity for sure that sharing what your your pathway might be well I've always felt uh was important you know for me i I think because of my last name Perez, I've always wanted to make sure that maybe fellow Hispanic coaches would be motivated to want to get into the mainstream of u s soccer and support u s soccer I mean I look at a player like Tab Ramos and see what he's done now as a as a coach, no, no longer as a player, but as a coach, it's a joy to see where people go. And and no question, I think we're all blessed that, you know, in our country, uh, those those things really, that door really revolves pretty fast. You can be one minute sitting in the audience saying, I think I could do this. I think I'd like to see this improve in this way. And then all of a sudden, boom, you're you're sitting in that position to make that happen. And that, let's see what you can do. And I feel really fortunate that I've had an opportunity to do some things in the game of soccer that I never thought I, I would, but a lot of firsts because that's what it was. Maybe I always kind of claim it pioneer work, you know, that we had to do it back, as you well know, Dean, in the beginning in the late 80s and 90s. There wasn't an abundance of uh, cash flow flying for U.S. soccer then or soccer, generally speaking, and to see where it is today uh, it, it warms my heart, and I just think that we just can't rest on our, our laurels. We just got to push harder, push forward, because uh, the whole world is 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 uh, out there competing, and this is truly the the a global game, uh, soccer. So I look forward to seeing the people in Baltimore, and it's always a joy to you know reconnect. Uh, that's one of the great things about the convention, and more importantly, I hope that when they leave. My session, they'll have a better knowledge of who Ralph Perez really is because I don't mind being in the shadows of a Bob Gansler as his assistant or assistant to Ziggy Schmidt because these are icons in our sport. And to say that I work with those guys hand in hand uh, is fantastic. I'm so glad I asked that uh, last question. That's a phenomenal answer all the way around, including your mentioning of uh, the work uh, with Hispanic coaches because I feel like United Soccer coaches like they are doing with every area, pushing that forward as well. And, Ralph, a little fun with you. I will tell you, I'm I'm kind of glad that our relationship never extended to the basketball court because if you ask Pat Benderley and Doug Newman and some of those guys, I considered myself a baller back in the day, and we went at it hard. I mean, hard. I don't know if you ever heard any of those stories, but it sounds like I would not wanted to mess with you on the basketball court if you – we're doing double time in college. That would not have been a good team. I don't think you would have liked me too well, Ralph, on the basketball court, by the way. <laughs> well, Pat Venderly was a, a legend in his own mind, uh, and, and John Polis had the greatest set shot ever, the left-hander. That, uh, But, you know, I told him that went out in the, in the 60s. But uh, we had a lot of fun in those days with U.S. soccer. I mean, some real hard-working people that you threw some names out, like yourself, that worked uh, unbelievable hours to help support the game. And uh, I really believe that uh, part of that success of U.S. soccer in the, in the early 90s uh, was because of people like yourselves that just really gave so much into their job. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, it's really kind of nice to see where, where the sport is now. But uh, I always reflect back to those guys, and I, I run into them, and it's always good to reminisce with with old friends. You know it. Ralph Perez, always a pleasure. You bring a smile to my face. Even if I'm not talking to you, I see your name, you bring a smile to my face, and I think that's how everybody feels. Ralph Perez kicking off the United Soccer Coaches podcast. They'll be featured on 1.30, the week of the convention on Friday. Q&A with Ralph Perez. Be there for sure. Ralph, thanks so much for kicking off the show. Thank you, Dean, and take care and have a good day. Ralph Perez, he epitomizes cool he's good people he is good people ralph perez he's the man speaking of men 
Todd Schulenberger. Let me say it again. Todd Schulenberger in his fifth season as the head coach of the Washington State Cougars women's soccer team. That's right. The Washington State women's soccer team led by Todd Schulenberger. They're in the College Cup, folks. They play North Carolina tomorrow, 7 o'clock Eastern Time, in the College Cup out in San Jose. Registration is now open for the 2020 United Soccer Coaches Convention in Baltimore. Make your plans to join us January 15th through the 19th for five days of coaching education, networking, meal and social functions, award presentations, and more. Register before December 11th to secure the best rate. Visit unitedsoccercoachesconvention.org to learn more. The United Soccer Coaches Convention, your event for all things coaching. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. I want to thank the legendary Ralph Perez, winner of the Walt Chisowitz Award back in 2012. He'll be presenting at the 2020 United Soccer Coaches Convention uh, Friday at 1.30. As promised, we are now joined by the talk of the town as it relates to the Women's College Cup. We know about those other teams, but how about Washington State? Todd Schulenberger, now in his fifth season, has the Cougars. In the College Cup, they'll play North Carolina, 4 p.m. Pacific time. It's on ESPNU, and Todd Schulenberger joins me now. Coach, great to be with you. Thanks for being on the podcast. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having us having me here today. Yeah, what a story, my man. You're in the College Cup. I mean, I just feel like starting with that. You're in the College Cup. What does that mean to you and your great program? Well, it's, you know, it's, it's great to hear that, and it really hasn't sunk in yet for myself, for sure, and I don't believe the team either, which is a good thing. I mean, we got back to, we were on these shows for two and a half weeks, and got back to Pullman on Saturday, and uh, had a great little welcome back in town, and uh, here we are getting ready for training today, getting heading out tomorrow to head down to San Jose for a great matchup on Friday night against Carolina. Well, exactly right. They didn't make it easy for you. Going on the East Coast, you got the one weekend where you got to play two games, you know the deal. How did your team get through that, Todd? What's the best way to explain the way the Cougars made it to this point? I would say that just happened in 2017. We got shipped out of town. We had to go. We, had, we upset UCF the first round, stayed on the East Coast, and then we beat Tennessee and then lost to Florida late in the Sweet 16 with a chance to go to the Elite Eight. So we got a little bit of tune up the East Coast. Last year we were banged up. We still made the second round, had to go East again and play Georgetown. None of this would have came true for us if we didn't go East two years in a row. The team has been around long enough to understand it. They travel. They get different hotels, different roommates, different practice events, everything. So uh, I, I really do think two years ago set us up for this this past uh, this past run. All right, Todd. I got to give your SID a whole lot of credit. Ben Lasky, nice young man. He knows your team very well. He was telling me the story about you've got the superstar scoring goals. You got a six-year senior in goal. Tell the names and and special players and. You know, I know you might miss a few names, but especially the six-year goalkeeper, that's a great story. Yeah, Elsa Dietrich uh, came back, and, you know, last year she tore ACL, and she was a registered before I got here in year, my second year. She registered year one, excuse me. So she didn't really have to come back last year. I mean, she could have hung up her cleats and said that's it, but she wanted to play and have a chance to go pro, so she came back, taking just a few grad classes, and had a tremendous season. She's definitely our leader in the back. You got Morgan Weaver. Um, she was on the Herman Trophy list. I mean, 14, 15 goals right now. Morgan is a fantastic player, scores goals, gets that players, and uh, does a great job. And you got some, some other ones that are starting to get a lot of recognition. I think one of the most fantastic players in this country, especially on, this, on our team, is Makame Gomera-Stevens, the Apache Miss from Hawaii. She did wonders against uh, um, Virginia, West Virginia, had a great outing against South Carolina. So I think she's a great one. Then you got Avery Collins, a transfer from uh, Stanford, who's been to the College Cup, has won a national title, has won a Pac-12 championship. She had that leadership there. you got hopefully a recipe for success here. I like that. Those are uh, some key names. And as you look down the roster, you're getting contributions from a ton of players, lots of players with goals, lots of players with assists. And you already touched on it, Todd, that uh, when you got back to Cougarland there for Washington State, uh, they received you well. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Because i got to believe they're pretty fired up. And the good thing is, they don't have to go too far to maybe even watch you guys play, right? Exactly. No, uh, what a great college town Pullman, Washington is. And uh, we got back and landed in Pullman, and then we had a little bit of a, a great welcome from those in town over Thanksgiving weekend, came out on a cold Saturday to celebrate with us and uh, just help cheer us on from the, from the good things you've done so far and 
and they're going to encourage us for the best when we head out of here tomorrow. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's a great response to them, and uh, our team is really grateful for that, all these fans in this great community. Well, I love your story. You uh, played at Robert Morris. Robert Morris is a place dear to me because of John Kowalski. He was around in the early 90s when I was with U.S. Soccer. Was he your coach there by chance when you were there? John was my, John was my coach for four years. John and I just spoke today. He might be flying out to see me on Friday. Oh, my goodness. I love that guy. And I saw him at last year's convention, and he actually was with the U.S. national team before they hired Bora. Obviously, he wanted that job. We almost hired him when I was at the Colorado Rapids. So I love that tie-in. And then Tom Stone was my first-ever broadcast partner for the Colorado Rapids in 1996 when MLS launched, and you worked with him. You've done a lot of other cool things as well, but talk a little bit about uh, your time with Tom Stone. I actually just called his game against Michigan, so it was great to see him back in the area where he went to college because he went to Duke and then was in town in, in Chapel Hill. But obviously Tom Stone, one of the great coaches of the women's game. Yeah, Tom and I, Tom's my guy. We go way back uh, when Tom was coaching Atlanta Beat years ago. I ran top at soccer club in Atlanta. And when, the, when that league just started, Tom was in town with the beat and needed to play training and practice. So he'd come out to uh, our top that field and train there. We, I'd get jump in, work out with the team. And then, you know, Tom and I knew each other a little bit before that. And we've been great friends ever since. And then I got into college coaching. When he went to, to Clemson, I took his job when he left. Uh, to go to Texas Tech. So I followed him at, to, with Todd Bramble to Clemson, and then I went with uh, Brian Blitz in Missouri. I had a great run with Blitz in Missouri for five years, and I knew I needed one more shot with Tom before I became a head coach. So Tom brought me in for two seasons. We went to the Sweet 16, had the most wins in program history, and then here I am now. So uh, Tom's my guy. Coach Walski, you know, I played for him from 90 to 93. We've been in the NCAA tournament a couple times there together, and, uh, yeah, those are my guys for sure. And you already said John reached out to you and he's going to try to come. I'm assuming Tom Stone reached out to you after you won your last game, right? Tom will be there. He arrives tomorrow night. He'll be there with pregame with me and Blitzwell. I'll have a lot of my former guys that helped me through this journey. They're going to show up. I'm going to have them with me in the locker room uh, before we head out to the field on Friday night. Oh, man. i tell you what, that is really, really special. I mean, what what a special show. Ralph Perez is on right now, and he's telling me he's down in Florida, and he convinced Lothar Osteander and Bob Gansler to come there and be with them. And, you know, those guys are getting up there in years, and yet they're still connected, right? That connection, right, like the one you have with your coach, John Kowalski, the one you have with Tom Stone, is priceless, right, Coach? Absolutely. I mean, I'm so thankful and grateful to those guys and everything John did for me when I was a player and everything Tom did with me we coached together and worked together at club and college. So I'm very thankful for those guys. For some of those people that have been sleeping on the job, maybe even me, what's the best way to describe the kind of soccer Washington State plays? And we're up tempo. We like to get forward. Um, you know, we're a pressing team. Uh, uh, you know, we'll break lines when we need to. We'll possess when we need to. But we, you know, we're, we're a high energy, high octane team. We don't like to get outworked. One of my models as a coach and with my team is we're no one's going to outwork us. So we're hoping to continue to carry that. It's worked so far this this season. All right, we just said a lot of big names in soccer, a lot of them. One name we haven't said yet is Anson Dorrance. He's won a lot of games. That is who will be on the other bench over there. I'm sure you've got mad respect for him. When you think about what he's done for the women's game, what comes to mind, Coach? It's incredible what he's done. I mean, we're getting a first run at this in the Final Four. He's been there, what, 21, 22 times and won it? I mean, it's incredible. I mean, I tell my team every day winning is hard. And I look at what he's done, absolutely outstanding, much respect. You know, I played uh, coach against when I was at Clemson. I did when I was at Missouri, and I did with Tom. So hopefully the fourth time, I know it's not the third time, the fourth time's a charm, but, uh, you know, nothing better. you got to pitch me to say i got a chance to play in the Final Four against one of the great legends of all time. I'll take it any day. We're enjoying our time with Todd Schulenberger. He's got Washington State in the College Cup. They play Friday, 7 Eastern, 4 Pacific, out in San Jose. This is the United Soccer Coaches Podcast, so 30,000 members, coaches at all levels. Todd, you were an assistant coach. You were associate head coach. You ran a youth club. You know the importance of surrounding yourself with great coaches. Talk about, as you're now in your fifth season, who you hired to work with you and why. I hired Greg Sheen. Uh, he's with me right now. Greg and I actually were club coaches together at Top that. I mean, I'm all about friends and relationships and trust, and Greg was a great player himself. He saw a Dallas connection. Him and Tom are good friends as well, so Greg works for me here, and then John Harvey 
Uh, Tony's our goalkeeper here. He's from Atlanta. Another connection I had back when I was in Atlanta. So uh, we got a great little family here. And then my architect is Jess Dreer. She played for me when I was a blitz at the University of Missouri. So uh, we always know each other inside and out, and uh, that's how I like it. Finally, as you know, United Soccer Coach is an incredible unifier at all level, whether it's youth, high school, college pro, you name it. What has that organization meant to you and your growth? Oh, it's meant a lot. I mean, that was stuff we learn every day and every year at the convention and stuff, and just the support across the country has been tremendous. And, uh, you know, we're big fans for sure, no doubt about it. All right, Coach, leave me with this. Not everybody uh, at Washington State is going to be able to be there in San Jose. Hopefully all of them will be watching. But besides the soccer program, what makes Washington State a special place to be? It's a true college town. you got to pack your bags and go to school. It's unique. I mean, we're outside of Oregon State, we're the most unique campus in the Pac-12. I mean, it is a college town. Um, and, and that's what's fun about this. And you either love it. Or it's not for you, but like I said, you got to pack your bags and go to school. There's no commuting here, and it sits on the beautiful Palouse out in eastern Washington. And, uh, I mean, it just, I know every school says it's a family thing, but here it's, it's Washington State. It's for sure all Washington State. Todd Schulenberger, you're the best story right now in college soccer, men or women, bar none, the best story. I'm so happy that you took the time. I know everybody's trying to get a piece of you. I'm so happy you took the time to be a part of the United Soccer coaches podcast and we wish you and your team the best of luck against the north carolina tar heels on friday good luck coach i appreciate it so much thanks so much for talking about our program here and having me on here today thank you again todd schulenberger he has been around some great coaches and now he's become a great coach he's got washington state in the college cup going for a national championship speaking of national champions we will talk to two of them marcus de bernardo he won a national championship for the monroe men junior college division one he won it for monroe college last year junior college division one women this year he gets the men their first title of any sport on the men's side how about that this during the season where he was coaching both again for most of the season halfway through decided to just stick with the men and it turns out to be the first national championship for Monroe Marcus DiBernardo and we'll also talk to Corey Rose the head coach of Tyler Junior College who won his fourth title in just 12 years of having a women's program at Tyler Junior College so we got Marcus DiBernardo up next and then Corey Rose stay with us now is the time to advance your coaching career and register for a United Soccer Coaches Winter Residential Course. These courses will be held January 6th through the 10th in sunny Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Earn one of the five advanced diplomas offered this January and add to your coaching resume. Remember to register before December 6th to beat the price increase. Visit unitedsoccercoaches.org for more information. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap. It's that time of the year where we start to talk to national champion coaches. And we've got a repeat visitor, although last year he won it as a women's coach. This year he wins it as the men's coach. We're talking about Monroe College, New Rochelle. They win the D1 Junior College men's title down in Tyler, Texas. They beat Eastern Florida State 2-1. to Marcus DiBernardo, he returns. A year after winning it with the women, which, by the way, lost in the final. And he was coaching both most of the season. We'll get into that. But right now we celebrate the greatness of winning it. Last year as the women's coach, this year as the men's coach. Marcus, that's pretty awesome. Congratulations. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Yeah, so let's talk about this team, this championship. You win it down at Tyler, which is obviously Tyler's always really good as well. What was it about this team? When did you know you had a team that could win it all? I mean, you never quite know, right? So we it's a hard tournament. The JUCO tournament is four games in six days. So you're basically like it's a war of attrition, right? You're hoping that guy's hamstrings can hold out. I, I think that we had really good depth this year. That was the difference compared to years past is we didn't have to overplay guys. We had a lot of trust in the bench, and, and it worked out well for us because – you know, the human body can't go through four games in six days. So we rotated a lot of players, and that really is what helped us win it. I'm going to put you on the spot. Break down those four games, if you can remember who you played and the scores and, and what the days were and stuff, because I, I think that's fascinating how you did it. I mean, yeah, sure. The, the, the first game was against Muskegon. It was 
And the first games are always tricky because the teams come out with tons of energy. We are the number one seed since, I think, the first week in September in the country. So, you know, everybody wanted to come and smack us around, so they came, and they were very physical with us. And that was actually a pretty tricky game. We ended up opening up the game towards the end, winning 4-0. Um, but for the first 60 minutes, it wasn't, wasn't so easy. The second game was arguably the biggest game of the tournament because it featured what was the number two seed all season in Iowa Western, and they, they got beat in their region tournament, so they dropped to the number eight seed. But realistically, they were a really good two seed, so it was the number one against the number two, and we just had a really good game. And, you know, to be fair, Iowa Western played on a Tuesday, and we had Tuesday off. We played Monday, Wednesday. And it's very difficult to play Tuesday, Wednesday. And I think that, that we did a great job, but at the same time, I think they felt a little tired. And people underestimate emotionally how hard it is to get up two, two games in a row. And um, uh, emotionally means a lot in a, in a championship type of scenarios. Emotionally, you have to be ready. So we carried through that game. We scored, I think we scored four goals in that game as well. And then we went into Friday night's game against uh, Illinois Central, and just we played an excellent game that night. We won 3-0, and then we had to come back the next day, 24 hours later, and play an extremely um, well-coached and physical and tough Eastern Florida game on that Saturday night. And we we did we really did a great job on that Saturday night. We rotated about five or six players into the game. And we, we came out two to one on top and, and it was really just kind of a, a great season and it was a fantastic to win it all. But I, I would say that, you know, things need to go right for you to win it. You, you need, you need a little bit of luck and I think we had that and we had great players who were mentally strong and talented. So it, it just all fell into place and I have to say this, I think if you play the tournament over again, you might have a different winner. It's, it's, it's really a, a tough, grueling thing to win. Well, it's great for Monroe as well. I know last year when you won it for the women, I believe that was their second overall. Is this the first national championship for the men or, or the first for you? Have they won others? So it, it's actually the first men's national championship at Monroe for, for any sport. So for me, I was, I was, you know, I'm most happy for the kids. I mean, the kids were on cloud nine that they were, you know, their joy. It was, it was awesome to see and great to be a part of. You know, for me, you know, I, I'm, of course, happy that we won. I'm happy for the school. But I think what stands out most for me is I'm just happy for the kids. Now, when I think about Monroe, I actually got to – I felt like I was touching Monroe all year because, as always, I do a bunch of NC State games. I love George Kiefer. He's from Long Island. And the relationship that he has with you, he sings your praises. And I got to see Machado all year. And I got to see the holding midfielder. That came in this year. They were delighted to play together again. So I'm thinking, wait, you lost those two guys over the last couple of years, yet you just keep on keeping on. So are you telling me you're loaded with, like, Machado-type players all over the place? <laughs> we are. We're loaded every year. Um, you know, there's we're fortunate to attract top players, and – and it's it's fun. I mean, what a fun job this is to work with the best players in the country every single year. And you could see, you know, we have guys at Ohio State, at NC State. We have guys going to Syracuse, USF, you name it. We've got guys all over the place. And to work with that kind of talent, it's just it's a great experience for me as a coach. So, yeah, we we, we should be loaded every year. So some of these guys that celebrated the first-ever national championship for a men's sport – where will we see them next year? Are there some names and prominent programs you can tell us where we might see them? Yeah, I mean, we're still searching through right now where everybody's going to go, but our, our center midfielder, Roque Viegas, has committed himself to Syracuse, and Cameron Joyce, one of our captains, is going to the University of New Hampshire. Um, and Luca Earnhardt is, is going to name his school pretty soon. He should be going to one of the top D1s in the country. Um yeah, it's going to be another recruiting class, another another bunch of guys that are going to go to some of the top conferences and teams in the country. So meanwhile, last year, I don't know how you did this, you coached both teams. The women won. How far did the men go last year, Marcus? Remind me. We made the national semifinal. We lost 1-0 to Pima, who, who ended up winning the whole thing. 
Okay, so then this year you start the season because, dare I say, with full respect and because I like you, a little crazy again coaching both. And then finally it sounds like you said, wait a second, what am I doing here? And somebody came in to finish out with the women who almost won it again this year, right? Yeah, I mean, we groomed a young man starting in, in July to come in and take over the women for the season. And now – and he did a really great job, Gene Casillas. And, you know, we still had – Buna Kundal, who is, uh, you know, the goalkeeper coach for the women. He's been there for years with the team, and he took a more of a leadership role with that team. And, and very soon we're going to name a, a full-time permanent coach for the women. So, yeah, things that, you know, this, this, this is, you know, like anything, you have to be flexible. And my experience on the women's side was excellent. The, the girls were so good. The whole thing has been, has been really nice to, to work with both teams. Talk about your thought process, though, because I'm guessing with your success, they probably said to you, Marcus, you can do whichever one you want, women or men, because they clearly <laughs> liked you. You were doing both. What made you decide to go with the men's side? I mean, I've coached both throughout my whole coaching career. I've coached high school girls, club girls. For me, soccer, soccer. I, I, I really, there's no difference between the two. And I think the only reason I stayed with the men is just because predominantly that that's what I, you know, came to Monroe doing. And that's what I decided to stick with doing. But I would be happy on the women's side as well. It's, you know, for me, soccer, soccer. Remind everybody how special of a place New Rochelle is. My wife actually lived there a little bit as well. It's a neat little community, right? Yeah, New Rochelle's awesome. It's, it's you know, you can literally walk to New York City from New Rochelle. You could be in the Bronx in about, you know, 10 minutes. New Rochelle is like the best of both worlds. You jump on the Metro North. I lived in Brooklyn for most of my time that I've been coaching at Monroe, and a 25-minute 25 tra train ride into Manhattan Times Square, and then jumped on the Q, Q train and was in Brooklyn another 15 minutes. So it's central to everything, and it, it's a really great place, especially for a college kid to go to school. Uh, any Anytime you can be that accessible to New York City, it's pretty awesome. Couple more questions from Marcus DiBernardo. He is your national champion for junior college division one on the men's side. They get it done, as we've already told you, the first national championship for a men's sport at anything at Monroe. And when you think about it now, when you got back, what kind of uh, reaction did you get? I'm assuming that your phone was blowing up, the AD called you. What kind of reaction did you get, coach? Well, I mean, the AD's a great guy, and the AD has been coaching baseball at Monroe longer than I've been coaching soccer. And he, you know, him and I have a close relationship, and he was, you know, he was so happy for the success and to finally get a national championship because he's worked so hard in his own program. And to be fair, Monroe is a really nice community, you know, type of place to work, so everybody's always happy for, for the success of, of the college and people in the college. So it's, it, it's a really nice place to work and, and they share the happiness in that so for me you know it's funny I, I watched the I watched the rerun yesterday I went back and watched the final over again and I still get nervous like we're gonna lose I'm like oh my god let me make sure that goes in but you know <laughs> we, we won again so it's you know it's good <laughs> you won back on replay as well of course you did. yeah replay we won again <laughs> yeah well now now you win one Monroe's gonna expect a, a double here what's uh what's it take to win a double I mean you you very astutely pointed out, I mean, four games in six days, that's brutal. Like, so you do have a little luck to kind of go the right way, but what do you got to do as you start thinking about putting the pieces together to win it again next year? You know, I don't know. My old coach used to say, you know, we're not Jesus in a sweatsuit, so who knows. I, You know, for me, one day at a time, right? We just try to do things properly one day at a time, make sure the student-athlete is taken care of, make sure we recruit well, we train hard. And I, I'm not a big guy on, on, you know, this is what's going to guarantee you to win games and get – no, we'll just take care of our business one day at a time, and I, and I trust that along the lines the winning is going to happen. It's nothing that, you know, we don't have ultimate control of winning another championship. Well, Marcus, I hope it means I get to see you again at the convention in Baltimore. Are you going to be able to make it there? Yeah, yeah, I'll give you a big hug when I'm in Baltimore. I'm definitely going to be there. All right, well, you deserve it, man. You're the national champ, this time in men, last year for women, getting it done for Monroe College. Again, Monroe College, your junior college Division One men national champ, led by Marcus D. Bernardo. Marcus, congratulations, and thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me.
Marcus DiBernardo gets a national championship for the NJCAA D1 men. Meanwhile, Monroe College women also made it to the NJCAA D1 women's final, but they ran into the juggernaut known as Tyler Junior College out in Tyler, Texas, Corey Rose. The head coach of the women's team, of course, Steve Clements is the legendary head coach of the men's team, but Corey Rose is every bit as legendary. In 12 years, he's already won four titles. He started the program. He's been in the championship game the last four years, winning two of them. Corey Rose, Tyler, Junior College, your Junior College D1 women champs. Corey Rose up next after this message. Team Snap's awesome. I have five teams on Team Snap. There are no questions asked by the players, the parents. Very easy to use. Very, very, very easy. Simple to use. Everyone, you know, everything's right there. Messages, availability, boom, boom, boom. I've looked at other at other things, and I think Team Snap sets the bar for this type of team management software. It's the best that I found. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Certainly enjoyed our time with Marcus. D. Bernardo, the top man for Monroe College men. Remember, he actually, at part of the year, was coaching both, and then halfway through, decided to not coach the women. The women for Monroe, they make it to the final, but they run into the juggernaut that is known as Tyler Junior College. Juggernaut men, juggernaut women. The women have been amazing under Corey Rose, who has Started the program, won a national championship in 2009, 2011, 2017, 2019. They've been in the championship game four straight years, and they win it again. Corey, congratulations. Another championship four in a short time span. It's got to feel good, right? Thanks, Dean. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it doesn't get old. I, you know, people ask me, does it get old winning championships? And, you know, uh, it's just like the first day. All right, take us through your games. I just did it with Marcus DiBernardo that played four games in six days. How many games did you have to play in a short time? And if you could, walk us through every game, including the final. Yeah, we did the same. Four games in six days to win a championship. Um, first game we played was Seminole State out of uh, Oklahoma. Um, undefeated, actually. Um, they were 20-0-3, I think. Um, and we had played them in preseason. We beat him in preseason, and then we see him in the first round. Um, Daniel Hill there does a great job in a short period of time, got his team to the national tournament for the first time. Um, and we ended up uh, winning that game uh, three to nothing. And um, got a break on Tuesday, played Wednesday against a strong team from Snow College in Utah. Um, another another tough game, uh, most Utah teams are, are aggressive, uh, uh, big, strong, fast, work hard, and that's what this team was. Snow College was a uh, 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 good adversary to play. Um, we were able to, to go up one nothing. They scored to tie it, um, and then we win, we win 2-1 in the second, second half uh, against a really good team there. Then in the uh, semifinal, we played the uh, host college. Eastern Florida State College, um, uh, another quality team undefeated uh, throughout the season. Uh, we go, we score first against them too. They come back to tie it in the second half, and then um, uh, we play a, a good through ball to our freshman freshman from Ghana, who's a tremendous player. She she put away the game winner uh, in that game in the semifinal to send us to the final, and then for the second year in a row. Uh, we played Monroe College in the final. Uh, last year in 2018, they beat us 3-1. to one. It was a 1-1 to one at halftime, beat us 3-1, to one. Uh, two goals in the second half. And then this year, um, we were able to, to, to take it to them. Uh, again, they were undefeated also, um, and we won 4-1 uh, uh, at the end of the game. So what was it about that matchup going in, obviously that 4-1 victory, what was it about that matchup that you liked going into it, Corey? I liked that they didn't have a, a big bench. They were they're a uh, small roster team. They they had a couple injuries throughout the season, but they only had like 12 to 13 players going into that final. Uh, and, and playing four games in six days is, 
it's not an easy thing to do. You know, we have a roster of 25, and so we were able to, to, to play a few more kids than they were. So we I thought we were a little fresher than they were. Um, but I, I like that matchup going into it. They have some quality players. Uh, goalkeeper, uh, two or three strikers are really solid. They got a solid center back. Um, but they, uh, I think they just, they didn't have the legs in that final game. It is interesting, isn't it? Monroe and Tyler, both men and women every year. They're right there, at least of late. Both those programs are pretty good, men and women. What do you attribute that to? Well, I know what they, I know what we contributed to it, at, at, uh, Tyler is, uh, I think consistency on the coaching staffs for one. Um, you know, we, I've been here and started the program 12 years ago, so, you know, I've been the only one around the program, but also, um, the success that we've had and, and, uh, I think the way we recruit and the discipline, uh, that we demand out of the players, um, you know, uh, people want to come here to, to focus on two things, and that's getting their education started for one, and then also competing for championships. And if those aren't your two focuses that you want to, you want to have here at TJC, you're not going to last, and you'll be replaced. So um, we try to go in and make sure when we bring a player into TJC that, that those are the two things that they're focused on, and it's been it's been pretty successful. Now, you're not going to be able to do it with the same draw as Steve Clements because you're from Indiana, so you sound more like me as a Midwestern guy, but what does make Tyler such a special place to live and work? Oh, man. Um you know, I was I was at a four year school in NAI school before I started this, and I was like, I didn't I didn't want to come to junior college to to continue my career. And people that knew about the school and Steve Clements was here um, told me that uh, I, I'd kind of be stupid if I didn't take this job, and uh, they were right. And it's it's about it's about family here throughout the school. Um, you know, our president, you know, our new president is is very involved. Um, our athletic director, we just have a new athletic director and our other athletic director moved up to be vice president provost and he was here doing AD for 15, 16 years. So consistency, um, you know, family atmosphere, they, they let us do our job. Um, they don't micromanage us and, and, and all that. So they let us do our job and, and, um, coach Clements and, um, we, I've learned a lot from him on how to, to work some things and, uh, and, and it's just been a good, it's been a good, uh, relationship here on the soccer side for sure. I live in Chapel Hill. I call a lot of UNC women's soccer games. Anson Dorrance has had consistency by having 25 players on his roster and playing almost 25 players. I, I don't know if you play 25 players, but what would be the best way to describe the kind of soccer that you're playing with the Tyler women's soccer team? Well, um, we we have a 25-person roster. Uh, probably on a regular basis, we're playing 18 to 20. Um, and then in some of the games where, you know, they get, you know, get out of hand, we're playing everybody. Um, but, um, you know, we, we play a beautiful style of soccer, I think. Um, as I was talking to a college coach today, I, I said, um, you know, we ask, we ask the, the players to solve problems. Put them in situations in practice and practice and and make them solve problems. The game of soccer is, is it can't be super consistent. It's going to be a random from time to time. You have situations where you're just going to have to solve a problem on the field, and like you can't dictate it from the from the coaching box. So um, we try to put our players in those situations and and make them solve the problems. And uh, if you watch our game, probably for uh, 88 minutes of the game, I'm sitting on my chair just watching the game because because the girls know how to play the game and solve the problem. So, um, you know, we, we try to work the ball uh, from the back. If they let us play out of the back, we'll play out of the back. If we need to play long ball, we'll play long ball. Um, you know, if they're pressing our midfielders, so we need to bypass the midfield, play in our striker, um, lay off to a midfield and, and build up from there, we do it. If we need to play it out of the back to our center backs and, and let them start the game, uh, that's what we're capable of doing. So um, my, my players are pretty... Uh, capable of, of, of playing all those positions. Um, you know, I think our outside backs, when we brought them in, they were, they came in as outside mid, so they have the attacking mind frame, they have some technical ability to get out of those situations. Um, and so moving them from the mids to outside backs is, um, was, was a, a transition that they were willing to do and be coachable in it. Um, but, um, you know, 
we, we give them some parameters on, on how to play the game. My strikers, if we're in a 4-4-2, uh, I want them to get into the center backs and, and, and be able to, to play both into their feet and, and play off of them. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful game to watch, I think, when we play. Twelve years, four national championships, also including that the last four years you've been in the national championship game, winning two of those four. What is it about what you have returning and what you have coming in that makes you think or feel that you can be right back here in the same spot again next year? That's a good question um, or a, a good thing to ask. We we actually started eight out of the 11 starters were freshmen this year. So we uh, we returned eight, eight starters uh, coming back. And um, our recruiting class is, is looking pretty strong. We have a couple of girls coming in in the spring already, and um, you know we're trying to trying to find the best players in Texas to uh, to round out that roster for for next year. But um, you know it's it's twelve years of, of rotating players in every year is 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 a fun thing to do. Um, you got to make some quick decisions and uh, on your on your roster and your lineup. But um, you know the girls need to mesh. Uh, team team bonding is key when you when you have a half new team every year, so we got to bring in the right the right uh, char- character kids with the right mindset to to have them want to to be able to mesh with the the girls that are here already. Finally, obviously, uh, you'll be recognized at the convention in Baltimore. Steve Clements on the men's side is going to get a lifetime achievement award as well. It's always kind of nice, I think, what United Soccer Coaches does promoting the junior college game. Just comment on that as we wrap up our time with you. They do a great job of, of including the junior college and, and all the other uh, powerhouse sports that uh, uh, go on out there. So, um, you know, from the All-Americans to Players of the Year to Coaching Staff of the Year, they include the junior college coaches' staffs and the, the players in that. And it's, it's a great honor for them. Um, you know, I think they... Uh, even, you know, give a little better accolades even than some of our NJCA, uh, awards that we have. So it's, it's, it's quite phenomenal the stage that they, they present there and get the, the players to come up and, and, uh, be seen on a national stage is, is tremendous. And, uh, I can't say enough about the work that they all do, uh, for the junior college programs. Can't say enough about the work you do as well. Starting the program, four national championships already. I love your answer that it doesn't get old, it shouldn't get old. That's what it's all about is uh, your winning titles and also molding young minds. I love it. Corey Rose, well done. National champion head coach for junior college Division One women. Yet again, congratulations, coach. Enjoy it and hope to see you in Baltimore. Thanks so much, Dean. Appreciate what you do. I certainly love what I do because of people like Corey Rose. I want to thank all of our great guests and remind you that each and every week right up through the 2020 convention, we will have featured presenters and speakers on this podcast. So tune in. In the meantime, register for the 2020 United Soccer Coaches Convention. I want to thank my main man, Michael Knipper, Sean Chevrolet, Lynn Burling-Manuel, Jeff Van Dusen, Ian Barker, Pat Madden, Rob Kehoe, the entire gang, Steve Veal, all the great people at United Soccer Coaches, Amanda Mitchell, to name a few. I'm Dean Linke saying have a great day, everybody. Enjoy your weekend as we'll crown more champions this weekend, including the Women's D1 College Cup, and we'll talk to more champions next week. Dean Linke for United Soccer Coaches Podcast. Have a great day, everybody.